0: Yeah. Make sure they're both on, are they?
1: I hope I'm here (laughs) anyway.
0: The Michael Anthony Show, episode 118. Um, Recently, we're on a bit of a geriatric vibe, really. Um, The guest before you, Steve Koppel. (laughs) Okay. That's how far back in time we're going. (laughs) Um, Before that, Stevie Van Zandt.
1: Oh, wow. Okay.
0: And now we're with Rick Buckler, the drummer from the iconic jam. Rick Buckler, how are you? Welcome to the show.
1: I'm fine, thanks. Yeah, I'm good, glad to be here. I've just about made it, really.
0: When a band is as big as the jam and it ends at 24, how do you sit in a bar when that music's playing?
1: I don't know. I mean, it's, it's great to hear it play because you know you're going to earn a few pence out of it. you know? The
0: sinking sand of despair 'm'm to going to die and I need to cry. Ah. Um, As in every time it plays, yeah, you get yeah, money
1: you, you get something you know which is nice I mean, it's I, uh, I mean I think the first time i I remember hearing uh, in the city on on a, on a jukebox that was a bit of a buzz, but to be honest. Sometimes it gets a bit embarrassing when, um, you know, you're in a pub and somebody sticks something on the jukebox and comes by and gives you the thumbs up. You think, well, it's nice, you know, Of course, it's great to be sort of recognised. But you think, oh, God, not again. I mean, I must have heard Town Called Malice more times than good for me. Well, you know, when you've heard something too many times, you think, I just give it a rest for a while. But I mean, we all went, grew to, went to the same school. Um, Bruce was in a year above us. And Paul's a year below me, so it it was a bit strange for to have that five years, ten years. We spent five years around the clubs and five years professional. It was a bit strange to have to have, um, you know, it all suddenly come to an end um, just as it was really sort of getting going. You know? I think
0: it's important for listeners to know though, um, because the Jam did split in 1982. Just how culturally significant you three boys were. Mm. You meet in a school and Woking, you drop your first album in what seventy seven? Yeah, we did two albums in seventy seven. And for the next five years, you you more or less reinvent mod culture and change the way the youth sees politics, sees the world,
1: dresses, and behaves. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's um, it was it was weird the way that it all evolved. You know, we just wanted to be noticed to start off with, so anything we could do that uh, you know to get attention and. Um, dressing you know like in in all wearing all the same stuff yeah, yeah. was definitely part of it you know we went through various unsuccessful phases of white satin jackets and stupid kipper ties and that sort of thing we finally settled on um you know uh, black suits like the beatles we thought well they did it they that was you know they started off with just all black suits a modern version of what the beatles were doing you saw
0: them on ed sullivan with the fucking black tie but you yeah. guys kind of added a, a rock and roll element to it it was a bit dirtier it was. The tie was a bit loose. The socks were exposed.
1: Yeah. I mean, I suppose it was a little bit sort of like the feel goods in those days that, you know, the suits were very disheveled and, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, and it was rock and roll. I mean, we, that's where we cut our teeth playing sort of fifties rock and roll fifties and sixties stuff. Um, which, which was great to do. I mean that we sort of, so we automatically fell in with the punk crowd and the, you know, that sort of energy gig, if you like, it just, it just evolved really. Um, like I say, it sort of evolved out of this, this thing of wanting to sort of dress and get noticed. And Paul was very much into, uh, you know, his clothes and, and, and that sort of thing. So he he sort of decided that he was going to go mod at one point. Mm-hmm. It wasn't very fashionable to sort of, um, you know, wear smart clothes or, or whatever during that period because everybody was going very street and we were coming out of the sort of 70s, which is more sort of hippie thing, you know. Yeah. So... um I suppose we just wanted to make our own mark and sound, have our own sound and our own look and image. And we just, that's, what, that's really what we were searching for.
0: Did you know from the moment you met him, there's a pain in this guy that needs to be expressed and this will
1: work? No, not at all. No, I mean, it was uh, because we were doing all cover versions right from the word go. Okay. The songs that we were writing or that Stephen Paul were writing, to be honest were pretty dreadful. Um, it was all love songs and and that sort of thing. They had yeah. no had no real direction. It wasn't until Paul saw the Pistols at the Lyceum um, in London at an all night concert and came back and sort of enthused about this band because they were the same age as us. And I mean, we'd been playing like the clubs and social clubs and that round Surrey, and people were going there because the beer was cheap, not because they wanted to see us. So it was nice to sort of after five years of doing that. To think that there could be an audience out there of our own age group um, that were into the sort of music that we wanted to do—I mean, even when we started playing in the London pub scene, you know, um, we we went down well. I think because we played fast rock and roll, not because of the songs that we were we would. You made people move. Yeah, I think it was an energetic gig. You know, I mean, I think, and when I, you know, you start seeing that. Um, there was a full audience there every time we played one of these shows. It was either the Nashville or the Marquee or Hundred Club or whatever. Um, we thought, well, you know, this is this is where we really want to be. So with Paul Weller and the way he left the band in
0: nineteen eighty two, claiming he wants to move on and wants to explore his own kind of capabilities, was it the success that made him egotistical, or was he was he an egomaniac before that? Did he go in thinking he was the main man, or was it when they started selling that he goes, fuck this, it's all about me?
1: Uh, well I mean the tragedy about a lot of things about fame is that and especially in our case was that we ended up with the sort of first and second class citizens in the band Paul was basically earning all the money really yeah? well because he he it, well, it didn't matter what the song was uh Paul always put himself down as the writer so for but instance was he not the writer no well there was a lot of there was certainly a lot of occasions and we we, we were a band we considered ourselves a band so if Bruce wrote this the the, the the bass line to start, as he did, yeah, you know, and the whole idea came out of a rhythm section. uh,
0: And jam tunes are so reliant on the bass line as well. Of
1: course. I mean, the three-piece, that's, you know. um, So
0: let's say a town called Malice. Boom, 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 boom. Who wrote that? Well, I mean. Who wrote that bass line, though?
1: Well, where do you think it came from? The bassist. Paul didn't write the bass line. Yeah. So you the know, start
0: of that tune that, that Billy Elliot jumps over the wall to isn't written by Paul Weller?
1: No, 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 of course not. I mean, it was, it's, you know, it's the band effort. Where all the things that we did, we did as a band. So, I mean, me and, we got to a point, I suppose, around Setting Suns, about the middle of our career when we'd done two or three albums, where me and Bruce used to work out all of the arrangements for the, uh, for the songs the night before in the recording studio. Um, I mean, Paul will come along with lyrics, and you know the lyrics. Like you can't knock the lyrics one bit. I mean, Great yeah, lyrics, yeah, fantastic, yeah. Um, but there's very few occasions when Paul actually turned up and said, "Right, there's the finished article. That's the song. You know, that's entertainment." Would yeah. have been one, but um, most,
0: that's just acoustically written.
1: Yeah, it was. Yeah, I mean, we tried it in various Formats, shapes and forms, yeah. and yeah, until we settled. But popular. it just worked best stripped down. It seemed to, yeah. I mean that was fine. We, because we like we like that idea of, of exploring what a three piece can do, you know, because we were a frustrated four piece basically. Yeah. Um which meant us really working hard, you know, musically to fill all the gaps and make it work and cut out the crap and
0: Was him throwing the name on the on the song kinda of because his dad was the manager and he had the ability to do it? Like were you never just saying when you were there, Paul, you didn't write the entire song, why are you only putting your own name down?
1: Well, it was uh, a lot of that came from the record company, so they would do all the paperwork for us. You know, they would say, "Well, um, because obviously you have to," and the publisher. So, um, and it sort of, I I suppose in a way, it still exists to this day. That if somebody writes a lyric, that's the song. And to I suppose you know fifty percent. Yeah, the written word is the material. Is the material, irrespective of whether the the what the backing track is. How can you prove you wrote a drum beat? Yeah, you can't. You can't do it. It just doesn't just doesn't exist. You know. Um, I mean, it did come to the head when, um, when we did Funeral Pyre, for instance. Somebody at Polydor sort of tapped Paul on the shoulder and said, "You can't put this down as your song." Not really, can you? Because. They knew, I mean, obviously because they'd, saw, they'd seen it evolve, that it, it came from a drum beat that then had a bass line put onto it that Paul took away and put a lyric to. So, so we swapped the melody of the bass line for, for verbal melody. Well, sort of. I mean, it was, it, it was like most of the songs that we did. It was, it was a real group effort. So, and I think somebody sort of tapped him on the shoulder and said, look, you know, you can't put this down as just being you anymore because it just wouldn't be right. So if you look at the, the, uh, the writing credits on that particular song, uh, the music is is usually split. As being fifty percent, and the lyrics are split as being fifty percent. Yeah. So Paul, we split it that way, which was fine. He got fifty percent for the lyrics. What about the
0: concept of image rights, though? And the Jam were so reliant on being the leaders in in mod culture, Mm. and Weller was the face of that. Yeah, I mean, his haircut,
1: his attitude, his media presence—that was the Jam. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he was more more mod-orientated than, than say, myself and Bruce. Yeah. I mean, he, he. there's some really fantastic photographs of him reposing all the Steve Marriott. If you look, let's look at some of the shots, there's some great shots of Steve Marriott with the bouffant haircut yeah, and yeah, the, yeah. the moody looks holding a guitar and all that. And, and Paul's sort of... Copied those entirely
0: and did them again, you know. So, yeah, so was Weller the master of PR without Weller? Would you boys have been unknown? That's that's what it comes back to. That's when it does he deserve the money for songwriting? Possibly not. I don't, in terms of the jam making it without his kind of foresight into what makes people tick. The lyrics, the anti authority political lyrics, or it make the jam stand
1: out, yeah, of course it does. I mean, I think once um Paul had seen the pistols and we'd we come into London and we realised that there was this movement of... Because there was a lot of that, the clash and the pistols and there was a lot of that sort of statement music that was going on about the politics. We sort of didn't see them as competition in any way. Because they you know, they were they were their own man. I mean, they made their own songs and Strummer was, was, was great. I mean, um you know, because he'd come through the ranks, he was with the one oh one ers before the, before you formed the clash. We we sort of bumped into the, the you know the the clash in London in those very early days before we all got signed and stuff, um, but he was a lot older than us. I mean, you know, he was. Would a, you be annoyed if they dropped the deadly tune? If they
0: dropped a the good a good track, would you be a bit like shit? We got to get into the studio.
1: I one thing I know Paul was very jealous of the name he thought the clash was a fantastic name and we, because we hated the, the the title of the jam the jam's very cliche isn't it? we did not like it at all yeah. when we started out we thought well, we'll call ourselves the jam because we jammed and when we think of something better we'll use it yes you know? but we never we never did and then somebody at the record company pointed out and said well look it's not the name the name doesn't matter it's what you make of it that counts you know so when people mention the jam they get a they get an image of what the songs are and, and uh, the look and everything about the band. So it, it took on a life of its own, really. Was Weller the spokesman? Weller and his dad were the spokesman for the band.
0: They were the people who were telling you and, and Bruce we're now a, a professional real band. And that would be his argument when he decides to leave of it was all me anyway.
1: Well, I think there was a lot of people saying to Paul, it's all you, it's all you. You know, there was a lot of yes men around at that time. I mean, it clearly wasn't um, to any jam fan. If you ask any jam fan, they yeah. I mean, there's Gary Crowley, famous quote: "There were three guys in the jam, and two of them weren't called Paul Weller." You know, um, and that that matters to jam fans that it it wasn't it wasn't about all about Paul.
0: Were you surprised that he took the narrative that it was all him? Like when you were jamming out with him for those 10 years and you were, you, were, you were getting big together, did you ever see a side to him that could turn around and go, I'm going on my own, boy, see you later?
1: No. No, in fact, he, to be fair, he, he absolutely hated that because it was um, when, you know, quite understandably, the press would turn around and they would say, oh, it's, you know, Geldof. They would, they would immediately go for the song, the, the singer of the band, you know, uh, as the sort of spokesman, as the head of the group i mean there's a horrible horrible thing most bands don't like it this sort of hierarchy of yeah. you know uh who comes who comes above the singer nobody really then maybe the guitarist then you get down to sort of well maybe the keyboard player's next on the list you know yeah. then the bass players down there and who's last well you know the old drummer he's at the back so he's got to be last yeah. on the list so there's there is there is this sort of hierarchy of class system you know which is really put upon you know the bands that uh, which is I find quite hilarious because um especially when it gets turned on the head by somebody like you know Phil Collins for instance yeah. but um have you ever met Ringo Starr no, 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 never have, no. I mean, I know that uh, we are where we are today because of what happened in the past and that the jam split after five years. It was a real shock, not only to to myself and Bruce, but to John. It wasn't part of his vision. Six months before we actually finished, um, we'd come away from a sort of a two-week break, which we'd gone away on holiday or done whatever we were doing, And we went back into the studio to do some more recording uh, because we were always working in warm shape. It wasn't before anything specific. It was just another recording session. And uh, Paul didn't want to tell us. I mean, but the record company had said to Paul, you've got to tell these guys. Um, You can't just split the band on the last gig and say, right, that's it, boys, it's all over. You've got to give them advance warning. I mean, we had contracts signed to do various shows and albums, we needed another album to finish off, that's why we did a live album that got us out of the record contract uh, as the last album. Um, uh, There was shows that we'd already said we'd do, Uh, the fans needed notification, Uh, so it it, it just simply wouldn't have been good enough to sort of just stop and walk away, I mean that's just not the right thing to do under any circumstances. So Paul got a bit of a slap really from from the record company about that and said, "No, you've got to do this in a civil way." So we were sort of taken aside at this recording studio, and Paul said that he he wanted to get out because he was on a treadmill. that was his that was his thing. Um, what do you mean by that? Well, I'm not absolutely sure, really. I mean, we tried to say to him, "Well, you know, why don't you go off and do your thing, do your solo career, whatever you want to do?" But don't burn the bridges of this of the band that we've built. There's absolutely no need to do that. I mean, if you still feel that way in a year's time, bands often do this. Mm. Bands often walk away for a year. Yeah. You know, yeah. they take time out and then they And they don't even necessarily publicize it. No. No, exactly. They just simply go quiet for a while, build up the demand and then come back yeah. with something. So there was no need for this sort of drama that he was sort of trying to go through you know this sort of angst thing um it was completely unnecessary and he just tells you boys i'm off he said yeah well you know we'll 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 do the shows that we've got and and then that's it we're finishing so we like gentlemen we decided that we would carry on doing the shows that we, we had planned right that way. And I, were did, you hitting yeah. the drum with less passion? Oh, no, absolutely. No, complete opposite. I mean, the shows were probably better than they'd ever been. Were you nearly trying to prove to him that we can keep going? You're trying harder. I don't know. I mean, I think for my part, I always thought he's going to change his mind. He's going to suddenly realize what he's what he's dropping here. There are some dark elements to this side of things. Um we did find out a couple of years after the band split that there was a lot of money going missing um which wasn't very good john had got very greedy with things his dad his dad yeah um i'll give paul the benefit of the doubt and say that he probably didn't know anything about it but i got a feeling he must have done yeah um because there was there was money being we basically caught john with his hand in the till we took him to court in the end and we what to, happened there uh, well, they settled with us. They had to. You know, I mean, there was no way you could going to hide was that. Was Paul anymore. involved in that? The day before Paul t- was to take the stand in court, um, he settled. So what? You, you and Bruce together took the yeah. Wellers to court? Yeah, because we knew that. royalties or what? Yeah, because there was money coming in from royalties. We asked the record company, where's it's their so royalties? It's so sad
0: that I had to get to that. Think about it. The oh, jam crazy. that represent everything anti-capitalistic. -hmm. And you stand up for the opposition to the elite, and you end up hiring
1: fucking lawyers and taking each other to stand. I know. I mean, we it was it was a situation we would look at each other, myself and Bruce, and think, "How the hell did we get to this? How did you? You know what? You know, did you this? Everything what went wrong? Nothing went wrong. Your narrative. You just had
0: to. You had no choice. You were getting robbed of money. We would that could be your kids' money down the line.
1: Exactly. This is this was how much money were we talking? What were we talking? A few million. No, 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 no. We well, well, What we were talking? Well, I mean, it, it, it subsequently has been. Yeah. Uh, so,
0: what percent were you
1: boys on, and then what percentage you get moved up to? Uh, we we had a we had a partnership between the band, so we were on twenty five percent of all profits between me, Paul, and Bruce. This was nothing to do with publishing. This was just yeah. mechanical sales of records and gigs. And it was uh, Bruce that came to me and said, "Look, we think that I think there's something going on here because." Um, we were we were on, in contact with the record company, obviously, still because they were still supposed to be sending yeah. us royalties. And what they what John had done because John wasn't he wasn't a professional manager. Um, I mean, he was a bricklayer and taxi driver. Okay. Really, that was Paul's dad. Um, in fact, the record company wanted. He's to dead out now, him. is he?
0: Sorry, is he? He's he's passed away. Is he? He has
1: passed away. Yeah, unfortunately. Would you have gone to that funeral? I wanted to go. Um, but I was sort of warned off by um, John's wife because this was after. Are
0: you disliked by the Weller clan?
1: I think so. Really? Yeah. I, I probably yeah. I mean, I, it's for no re- nothing that I've done really, because it was just uh, you've just stood your
0: ground, according to where you're
1: coming. Well, from. because once we took him to court and he we he he'd been exposed and uh, and all of that. If Paul Weller drops a new
0: record, do you listen to it?
1: No, I don't, I can't be asked,
0: really. Can't be arsed out of pride. You're definitely interested as an artist, though. No, I'm not interested. Really? Because you obviously respect them as a songwriter, and musician. I do. Yeah, I do. A, but what I've heard
1: with. of recent stuff, I I think. Well, do you know what? This is fairly pedestrian.
0: But why not just have a few beers and, and just? try You've definitely listened after a few beers and gone. Fuck it. You can't just move on from that level of success <laughs> in life.
1: No, huh. I've, well, I mean, I wouldn't. I wouldn't go out of my way not to listen to it. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Okay. Um, have you not spoken to him since you since you left the band? When. When the band first split up, myself and Bruce stayed in contact, quite close contact. Um, and we would always contact Paul and say, you know, oh, we're, we're, we're both in town doing we're something. we for a beer. Come for a beer or coffee, or we drop in at the studio. Yeah. I dropped in several times um, when he owned a recording studio. Um, and he's just saying, get the fuck out of here. I don't want to know you. He wouldn't even come out. He wouldn't even come out and say hello. Is he a narcissist? Is, is he selfish? You're using long words on a drummer,
0: man. <laughs> is he someone who drops people easily once they can't benefit him anymore?
1: Yeah, I think once you're out of his bubble, that's it. I think that's... Uh, I don't know why that is. Did you know him well when you were in the jam? Did you get on of course. well? We got course. It... We got on great. We, I mean, we, you know... Like I was you
0: a... sat up over many nights, you boat were... Pulling two chicks simultaneously—it was rock and roll, man. You were absolutely. On tour. Yeah, we we do. The... Doing well over splitting a joint, and there was two American chicks waiting
1: inside of it. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, all right, you're making it sound really great, but. <laughs> well, well, I mean, were, we used to hang we were out taking out a lot. over the world. You know, we we used to hang out a lot. We were in and out. Did you ever say to him, Paul, you are
0: a time. gifted lyricist? Uh,
1: Have was he ever I say... blowing smoke up his ass. And did he no. ever say
0: to you, you're you're a half decent drummer? No. That's no, the problem. You were never honest with each other. Worlds. You might be right there. Yeah. You may be right. Well, it's your generation are associated with that kind of post-war, stiff upper lip. Never tell another man he's oh, good. Oh, I've been shot down in flames. Do you know what I mean, though? Never tell another man. I do. I know man. exactly you what never you told mean. him he was good and he never told you you were good. And Bruce has probably never fucking told he was good either. We... So what happens? You split up and you fuck up all of your musical careers. <laughs>
1: oh, he's brutal. You. Yeah, you could look at it that way. You, you never could. complimented each other. Well, I think in ourselves, we knew we were good. We had the confidence that we didn't need to be slapped. Oh, and it works the for the time. public, but
0: it, it eats each other. Like, even if you look at someone, Lennon McCartney, they yeah. weren't even telling each other they were good. I've heard McCartney no, I'm sure say would, on numerous times, he no. was saying, John only told me once ever it's a good tune. Yeah. And it's a great front and it sells records, but you will eat yourselves a fucking live.
1: When you've got a professional uh, arrangement with somebody and you are working with them, right, you are, Every one of us, and we knew it in our hearts, every one of us was doing the best we could. It it may or may not be regarded as, uh, you know, worth a good sort of, uh, you know, backslapping and, oh, aren't you wonderful and all of that, because we get enough of that. You get enough of that out of the press. One, we only you... believe each other. The press are bullshit. The, the press might yes, affect your reputation, but you do not give a shit. Are. And the what last they think. thing we want to do value is... their opinion though. Well, you you, you the last thing we want to do is actually start doing that amongst ourselves. So that's probably the best way. Of so when you it. and Bruce
0: are on the drum and bass for Down at the Tube Station at midnight, and he comes out with the story about being mugged, would you not just think of going? You know what? That's a half-decent fucking story, mate. <laughs> That's
1: fucking pretty Well, there were comments like that. I mean, our tube station, for instance, got thrown in the bin because Paul didn't like it. It's, it's your best track. Yeah, absolutely. And do you know what? We thought it was the worst track. So we decided that we, because of that, we were going to uh, like just say to the record company, we're going to release the worst track on the on the album for, as a single. He's almost impossible to get in touch with. He's never addressed it. Which are going, you know what, Rick? You will have decent fucking drama. Well, you story. hear it through the grapevine, man. I mean, there were people who come to me and say, "Oh, so but you I,
0: still want his approval in a way? You still want him to tell you you're good
1: enough?" I think any musician likes to feel that they've done a good job in some way. It's, it's a shame though, It because is. because we can YouTube the jam right now. I
0: remember being like nineteen. Seeing a video of then at the tube station at midnight, mimed quite evidently on Top of the Pops. I remember seeing the video for Going Underground younger, 14, and you make people feel at home and you just make people feel good about life. But the fact that you don't talk to each other and you went to court, it's fucking
1: heartbreaking. Oh, absolutely.
0: The whole message of music is bigger than capitalism. Yeah, yeah.
1: It's fucking... Tell that to Weller. Don't tell that to me or Bruce. Tell it to him because, you know, this is, this is not, this, none of this was for mine or Bruce's making. This was because we, you know, the band split and we sort of accepted that as grown men. We thought, well, you know, things don't last forever. If that's what Paul wants to do, that's fine. We can live with that. But, you know, uh, we, so, so we were fairly mature as far as that is concerned. Um But I think some of the motivation that Paul had for... I mean, he changed his story after the band split about why he split the band. What did you
0: do after the jam? The jam would have been playing fucking Madison Square Garden by 85. Hmm. What do you do? Weller fucks off. He has his story. What are
1: you doing? Well, I mean, the first thing that I did was was get another band together.
0: Yeah, but when you know that's not going to be the same because you were in the fucking jam... It just I, it just peters out.
1: Yeah. I mean it was at that was point. Was there ever
0: a time where you hated music?
1: There was a time when I just simply had to walk away from the music industry and and think, right, I've just I need a break. I just want to get out. Because it's okay when it's when it was our weekend job and we went you know, when we were doing the clubs and stuff, when it became full time job, uh it becomes very serious, uh you know, on all levels. You know, you literally have to turn up. You 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 have to come up with the goods. The Imagine goods.
0: someone's telling you here, Rick, you have to show up and play the drums for eight hours tomorrow. When you were 16, you would have fucking paid them for that to be your job. Absolutely. But after a while, it's like football, just start going, oh, I'm a bit hungover. I don't know if I fancy showing up and playing the drums. It's ridiculous. Yeah. It's a luxury. Yeah. But because the luxury is abused in our own minds, it becomes a fucking job, and then we all split up, and we take no, no, each other no, no, to the court, no, 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 and we no, ruin no, everything.
1: Now, no, because we took it seriously, and because we wanted to make it work, and it was, and it was if you like, you could call it a job, but it was more than just a job. It was still our passion th- that we wanted to do. Um, but it is your income. We didn't do it because we wanted to become millionaires. We did it because we 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 love to do it. That's the reason why we started off. I th- do think there is an element of hypocrisy in what he was doing because as soon as you become famous, all that other stuff comes with it you know the money uh and you know having time on your hands you know and the drugs and the parties and all that it just comes with it there's no there's just yeah. doesn't there's no avoiding any of that
0: was drugs a big jam thing did you ever have a drug phase
1: no not really we used to booze like like <laughs> like crazy monkeys yeah, yeah really i mean that was the thing i mean people used to say don't go for a drink with them guys for god's sake you'll not come out alive you know um, because that was that was their pastime. What of about choice. women
0: at the time? Surely, if you're in the Jam in the late seventies, early eighties, it's it's Charlie Sheen shit.
1: Well, oddly enough, the Jam seemed to have a a big bloke audience. Really? Yeah? yeah, a lot of blokes.
0: So you weren't walking into a London boozer and leaving with whoever you wanted on your arm? Not really. No. 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 Weller was though.
1: I don't know whether that was true. No, I no. don't know. You um, the jam. Yeah. No, you I, see
0: you're you're you, see, I, we're sold this, we're a younger generation. We're told about sex, drugs, and rock, rock and, and roll. roll.
1: Right. Well you So know. from
0: where I'm standing, the Jams drummer walks into a <laughs> bar in nineteen eighty in London and he walks out with five, a la the godfather from WWE, and he fucking <laughs> picks which one he's taking home. Am I wrong?
1: <laughs> you're wrong. You're really? so wrong. Well, you were so I mean we were working all the time. We never had time to sort of do stuff like that. You know, Paul was totally paranoid about being, um, you know, kidnapped or, or being hassled. He thought or, he was going to get John Lennon. He thought he was getting yeah, shot. Yeah, so Paul thought he was more famous than he was. As basically well, he was living doing. in a flat in Pimlico with bars on the windows, you know, because that's the, um, that was the, the way that he felt. Do you think felt. Paul wanted to be famous? Fame yes. was important to him. He wanted to be revered. I think he, yes, I think fame is, And he
0: talks about how he yeah. didn't like the pressure of the press writing about him, but in a way, that's what filled the void of you've, what he needed.
1: You've got to have the press write about you, otherwise you'll never sell any records. So he loved being the voice of the generation,
0: because there's oh, a certain narrative he yeah. gives that going, the jam was getting too much because we were becoming the voice of a generation.
1: He wanted that, though. I, but it, yeah, but it, it's one of those things that comes along with, with the gig, you know, if you want to sell records and you want to stay there making, uh, you know, albums and doing tours and, and writing songs, all that stuff comes along with it. It's all part and package. There's no avoiding it. You can't pick and choose when it comes to that sort of stuff. Um, so you you have to come to terms with it. I mean, it, it makes me laugh when you see people going, oh, the press are writing about me, you know, yeah. Madonna's
0: and all this. Go th- Kim Kardashian. Someone who made it famous off a of sex tape on press exposure is complaining that the press are outside the supermarket. What the <laughs> fuck do you think you are?
1: Yes, exactly. What is the base of yeah. your fame without the press? Exactly, exactly. So, you know, you just have to deal with that. And if you can't deal with it, you're in the wrong business. Really, you really are. You spent 40,
0: 39 years. I used to be the drummer in the jam.
1: And the older I get, the more embarrassing it gets because they say who? You know what oh, I mean? Shit, it's who, to who the fuck is he? It winds Paul up and it always has done that. Uh, whenever that anybody mentions Paul Weller, it's Paul Weller from The Jam. They never mention Paul it Weller. It should be, though. Oh, yeah, it absolutely. I agree good. with you. But that's what I'm saying. That embarrasses him because it's not Paul Weller from Style Council. It's not Paul Weller, the solo artist. Yeah. It's Paul Weller from The Jam. Yeah. Um, because that's the greatest thing he's done in his if career. If you old
0: fuckers got together now, you couldn't even play the chords, though, could you? You're too it's, old now. It's
1: yeah. The the, the, the energy is the necessary time to do that as long gone. was
0: around 1996. Yeah, probably yeah. something like that. Yeah. yeah,
1: yeah. He sort of resents that. I mean, um, there's without a doubt what put us where we are today was that band. It always will be. Yeah. So when you can't achieve your own ego, your own fame without that anymore, you know, you can't be, you know, because I don't think. I mean, I nothing against Paul and his songwriting, but you I think haven't... the jam was his peak? Yeah, I think so. I think he peaked. Uh, you know, did
0: you want it to be when he went solo? Did you go? I fucking hope he doesn't become
1: an icon here. <laughs> yes, I didn't even think about it. Yeah. To be honest, oh, come no, on, no, 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 no. You're not going to wind me up like that. You know, that's. Uh, I... I uh, good luck to him. Really, I mean, I you know, I, I think he earned everything he, he he did. you know his contribution with, to songwriting and all the rest of it. I mean, as he is as a person is different for him as an artist. You should never mix the two. So I mean, I I, I just think he's, you know, he's probably tr- still trying to become his own man. But I don't think he ever will be. I think people will always say, no. But know, in terms of you. What's the buzz
0: been from being the Jam's former
1: drummer? Life-wise,
0: it's such a weird thing to have. Like, life's a struggle for everybody, and whatever ninety-eight, ninety fucking nine point eight percent of people are normal. You were once a rock and roll star. Why? And it ended when you were very young, and the last nearly forty years of your life have been the former rock star. What's your narrative?
1: It's a very weird thing. It's like two lives. Almost. Yeah, it does. Yeah, it does seem like it was a lifetime ago or a different life anyway.
0: Do you kind of get a subliminal arrogance or self-confidence from the fact that you once were a rock god?
1: I don't know about arrogance. I'm I'm, uh, I I'm. know for myself and Bruce, we are very proud of what we did in those days. Yeah. And we're very proud of how long people, uh, you know, the songs have lasted and people still listen to and them. And the fact children. you've
0: a Wikipedia, you're important, there's articles on you. And you I'm still con- here doing
1: talking to exactly. you Exactly. You, you've
0: yeah. contributed to the history of mm. not just music, but English culture. Rick yeah. Buckler matters. When you die, it won't just be an everyday funeral where we throw you in the ground, we play fucking Fix You by Coldplay. There'll be, <laughs> oh, please, there'll be, no, no. There'll be a newspaper article. <laughs> yeah. going. iconic drummer passes away. Hey, well, yeah. Sh- Looking of. at you,
1: I'll give you 80. Yeah, news at 11. I don't know. It's... um. When Looking you wake up in, in the
0: morning, way. do you go, I'm Rick Buckler, I need to look after my
1: garden? Is there 1% of you going, and I also play the drums on fucking going underground? Well, do you know what? I Every now and again, I, I pull out a track and I'll listen to it. And I, maybe I haven't listened to it for a very long time. Um, and I think, you weren't bad. Yeah. That was good. You think you're cool. I, it's quite nice to think that you are unique. There's that's it. There's only you. There's only there was only one drummer in the jam. It was not like there was a string of them, you know. Um, and so. if
0: if Weller died tomorrow, you'd be good. You you obviously want to talk to the guy before you, before either of you die. It's getting to that
1: stage, boys. Have we got those prostates checked by the way? <laughs> <laughs> I would love to talk to him again, but I'd... it's getting too old. Let's, uh, let's just talk. Let's, that's the civilised way of going about it. It has things. to be at this Absolutely. point. Absolutely. I the, agree The with jam you. are yep. too iconic. Yep. They're too brilliant. What did
0: you think you were when you were 24? And your parents, who obviously were ordinary people from Woking, your siblings, and you're the drummer on a band on top of the fucking pops? You're all over the papers.
1: Did you think you were better than people? No. I, I thought we were extremely lucky. Because on the other hand, we worked very hard to get where we had where we had got, you know. Um, and there is a there is a huge amount of luck involved in some of that. being in the right place at the right time and the right combination of musicians. There's there's some bands out there with some fantastic combination of musicians that don't make it, that don't get the same success. Do you ever think going into management because you would have had such knowledge and insight into that? I did try. I mean, I I managed a couple of local bands, just trying to give them a help, you know, getting some shows and that sort of thing. Um, but that's, again, it's, that's not an, it's not an easy game to be in at all. Um, because it, you know, it's just one of those things where you, if you've got the right ingredients, it's fantastic, but there's no, there's no, you know, crystal ball about any of this. Um, you know, what makes the stones, the stones really, when you look at them, you know, it's, um, it's, it's, it's a difficult one. Um, I, it's just. Just make the effort, really. I think people should do that. If they, if they want to get involved in music, they should do it. They don't, you, don't, you don't analyze this stuff too much. You just get involved and you, and you do it.
0: When you gave up on music and you started getting into the furniture game, let's say in your 40s, mm. was there people going, you were in the jam once?
1: No, no, not at all. I mean, that was the period when I decided, Well, what I'm going to do is I'm going to step away from the music for a couple of years. Um, and the, my first drum kit I made at school, so I I always liked making things with you know with my hands and stuff. Carpentry is, is a good thing to do. Um, in fact, during lockdown, that's exactly what I've done. I've gone back to the workshop and I've been making iconic chairs like you know the Mac, Macintosh chairs and that sort of thing because it's brilliant. It's just something to do, and I love doing it. So it's nice to have that to fall back on and, and you know just for my soul to have something creative to do. Um, so that that's good. Um, Do you ever get noticed anymore? Yes, yeah, yeah. People sure. come up to you
0: in a restaurant and a bar.
1: Yeah, I can still duck. You see, so I'd, you know, if they take a swing at me, I'm I'm all right. You know, it's
0: <laughs> how hard was it between, let's say, eighty two and eighty eight? When people are asking why they just split up, all people wanted to know is what the fuck happened between you and Paul Weller.
1: Yeah, I mean, there was there, a lot of Jam fans felt very resentful uh, and would want to know why as if I had some sort of insight into Paul's mind about why he did it, Um, which we don't. Nobody does, I don't think, really. It was the most illogical thing. I mean, for instance, when my house got flooded out one day and when we were doing um, the Gift album, and I just said to him, look, I've got to go. I've got to go and sort some shit out. I've got to go because we had no furniture. Everything was just, you know, I had nothing to go home to because it was just ruined. And he just did not understand that. He just did not comprehend that, you know, well, w- w- you should just stay here and carry on working. I go, what am I going to go home to? I've got nothing to go home to. You know, uh, my wife would, was just left with the problem. Um, I mean, I'm just sitting there. I, was, I wasn't doing anything as such in the studio because I've done all the drum tracks. Um, but he, was, he can be a, very, uh, the opposite of sympathetic, you know. Uh, he, he just didn't seem to want to understand that people have a life outside. How many times have you been married? Christ, I got married quite early on, I suppose, 1982. And are you still with the same? Well, wife? I wasn't married. I lived with I lived with her for six years before we got married, so I got married. Are you still the eight... married to the same woman? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I you're, am, a, you're yeah. a
0: one-woman guy.
1: Yeah, yeah, sort of, yeah.
0: Is there a sacrifice of the soul that comes with that?
1: No, it's like being married to about six or seven women because as you grow older, things change. You know, yeah. you you, they, you go through different phases. You have you have kids. You, you know, the, you have the period after that, and all that sort of stuff. Is
0: marriage just handy, or is it something you actually feel?
1: I like living with somebody,
0: but the know? same woman.
1: Yeah, yeah. I don't. Th- I and I think that, you know that's that's almost assuming condition. Some people don't. Some people don't get on with it at all. Uh, it depends like what you... do you
0: make of any you've obviously had mates who've had affairs on their wives in your life, mm, of course you have do sure. you think that's scum no, not at all you don't think tell them first you understand it's no possible. I
1: mean you know i that wouldn't necessarily be me, but that's there'll be the world is full of different sorts of people.
0: the generation before you genuinely believed in god
1: oh Christ I know i now I, I, I presume
0: you know we go nowhere
1: i I don't believe in God at
0: all your mom believed in God yes, yeah, she did is yeah. she's your mom dead yeah, she is. She When'd died she last die? year.
1: She okay. was 99 and... It, 99? 99 and a You're going to be half. floating around here
0: for fucking years. I know. It's good this news This is going to be like one of but...
1: six appearances on this show. <laughs> <laughs> 99. What age was your old man? Uh, he died... Uh, I suppose he was in his 80s when he died. But okay, he, he'd so been you're... through the war and he got malaria. at um, during the war and that didn't that doesn't do what really war? good the second world war really not the Boer war anything like me. that you know? that's how old I was the youngest see, of, of our family what did your mother make of the jam
0: and your anti-tory oh man don't even go there without, that of...
1: you know I mean when I didn't get out of bed till 11 o'clock in the morning you know she would think that there was something wrong but I never got back till 2 3 o'clock in the morning anyway but when you guys were slating let's say the queen
0: sarcastically would, would, your mom was a big fan of Queen Elizabeth was she
1: oh yeah it's that generation
0: and does she tell you this is bullshit this is immoral no no the minute she saw a paycheck she goes do what you want to do
1: <laughs> well she did even up to the point where we did our second album and she was still and I'd come home I was still living at home during that, that period and she'd say to me well, you know you're not doing very well then and I'd go well of course we are yeah, but you've been at home for ten days. You haven't done anything. Do you know what I mean? It's, well, if you have, you not got any work. You know, it's, well, come on, Mum. We've just done a tour of Europe. Well, she and say the that, and,
0: that poor Paul Weller is a fucking. You can't trust him.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, there was none, none of that really. I think my parents were. They didn't like me playing drums. They certainly, you know, didn't like the idea of. I, I was never allowed to have a drum kit at home. It's a bit like playing football in the living room, you know. It's just frowned yeah. upon, isn't it?
0: It's, it's 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 really antisocial in the house, though. <laughs> it is. It's indeed. not guitar. It's very loud. It's a vital instrument. And just to any drummers listening to this, what's your advice to be a really proficient drummer? just self-confidence. Just practice, practice,
1: practice, practice—the usual sort of stuff that's been harked since time immemorial. Don't world.
0: overcomplicate it. Just no, make sure you're hitting. Yeah, board you
1: don't board. have to. You're not in competition with anybody but yourself. You want to be able to do the show confidently and without mistakes, possibly, you know, preferably without any mistakes. So in the end, you end up sort of having a way of doing it. You can still improve on your performance um, without actually, um, you know, as soon as you start to improvise, you make mistakes. Um, I don't think improvisation at the point of doing a live show is all that a good idea unless you're absolutely confident about what you've already, you know. A lot of musicians
0: don't have the discipline, though, to go into studio and play the same thing 10 times. They think we're writing a song, we're playing a live gig, we'll do it, Mm -hmm. it's going to be great fun. But being a fucking professional musician,
1: there's a lot of repetition. Yeah. There's a lot of boredom. Yeah. The best description of it is you could say the Thames is a river, but every time different water flows down the same river, it's different water. Uh, And it's like that uh, when you're playing a song. It's still the same song, but you're doing it slightly different every time. Even though that it, nobody might not notice, they might not tell the difference whatsoever. Earlier on, we were talking about being, you know, being Rick Buckler in the jam. It doesn't, it, it doesn't really, uh, you know, we were still feeling insecure, even though we'd had okay. all mod cons coming out and that was yeah. doing really well. We still felt in ourselves that we had something to prove, either to our own audience or to the record company so that we were going to get another contract. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We were going to be able to the sell record.
0: The second album was a bust.
1: You know, the, the yeah, it was, we did that too early. Yeah.
0: Really. It was literally the next day.
1: Almost. But I mean the thing is that when you when you end up with a number 1 record for instance, where do you go from there? It's all right when you're going up the charts and you've got something to go for. And the record companies, especially the record companies, want you to achieve that because it means more sales that's what they're about they're about making money and to them you're you're part of the product and you'll want to make money but once you've had a number one the pressure that's on you from from those sort of people to say you know repeat that do that again what is the secret to consistent
0: emotional stability and, and happiness in in life in which we all live we're all floating on a fucking ball we all come in here we all die individually What's the board? I'm I think cool you have to be true
1: to yourself. I mean, you're not doing, you know, this is, life's not a rehearsal. You're not doing it for anybody else but yourself. And I think, you know, if you, if you're, if you start wanting to do things because, um, you know, the record company said you should do this or your peer pressure says you should do something else or... No, 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 if, if, you, if in your own mind you, you're happy with it, then what's not to like about that?
0: And there's still a party of the things you and Weller should talk for you about. Uh, Rick Buckler, it's been a pleasure to have you on the Mike Antony Show. I uh, really respect you as a man and it's been an honour to talk to you. Thank, thank you very much for coming thank on. Thank you very
1: much. It's been how many years my oh, boy audio
0: star, You audio still don't know my chairs of joy no need to go, just take hey it yo, slow. Have you heard the Michael Anthony show? Nice show? Makes me feel just fine. What's it? Help help see? Makes me see the light.
1: What about those tears? Cheers.
0: My eyes The hell's
1: a make-up fit Makes me feel alright